Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Raw, The Fight Within, a brand new podcast series hosted by me, Coogan Cassius. Over the course of the series, I'll be sitting down with some of the most high-profile figures from the world of boxing, including fighters, trainers, and promoters, in order to dig a little deeper and understand their own personal stories. This podcast is about much more than simply what happens inside the ring. It's about the journey, the sacrifices, the agony, the ecstasy, the highs, the lows, the tears and the fears. It's about getting to know the person. Thank you for tuning in and I really hope you enjoy it. If you do, be sure to like, comment and subscribe. This podcast is suitable for over 18s only as it may contain adult content and explicit language. Hello and welcome to Raw, the Fight Within podcast with me, Coogan Cassius. I'm absolutely delighted, been a long time coming, mm. uh, to be joined by Mr Ray Winston. How you doing? How are you, mate? Yeah, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm, I'm kind of trying to de-stress at the minute after Christmas and the New Year and all that and family and all that kind of stuff. Every year I say, never again. But by the time the 12 months is up, I've forgotten about that, and we do it again, and you go through the same pain, the same joy as well, every year. I don't think I want to do it again next year. But it, gonna, it, all in go. all, had a good Christmas, though? Everyone did, yeah. I've done a lot of the cooking and and a lot of cuddling, you know, stemming the tears and, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, it was lovely, you know, it's family. It's what it is. And it's quite raw sometimes and it's quite loud sometimes. And But it's what it is. And that's what family's all about, I guess, at the end of the day, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I haven't really kind of gone into the basis of what this podcast is because I wanted you to kind of have a, yeah. an open mind as we talk rather than overthink everything. And yeah, I'm sure. not saying you do that. I just thought it was better to do it a little bit blank. So... We're going to start quite easy and then you'll kind of get the gist as we go on. Um, So obviously everyone knows, aside from your your film career, um, Mm. your early days were very heavily involved uh, on the boxing scene. What what was your first ever memories of boxing period? Well, the first club I boxed for when I was a kid, I suppose I was about 12, 13, was New Enterprise in Tottenham. Because I lived out in Enfield. We'd moved from um, Plasto, because my dad had a fruit and veg shop in a Bushill Parade near Enfield. And so my mum, without my dad knowing, bought an house. And at the time, she could buy an house for about £4,500. So my mum, who was kind of the thinker in the family, went and bought an house. So we kind of moved out the East End. And so, as a lot of East End, South London families do, it's all about boxing and about family, you know, where I suppose other sides of the country are about football and uh, and, uh, and uh, family, you know. It's, but you boxed in my family. 
my dad box, my grandfather box, his dad box and cousin's box. So I guess it's that kind of that kind of vibe. And I remember going to uh, the Municipal Baths in Tottenham and Henry Cooper was in there this night and there was a, we had some good fighters out of that club. And even though I was a kid, we used to go along to the shows and watch the older boys fight and all that kind of thing. And uh, I remember going up to Henry Cooper and asking him his autograph and uh, he must have been busy because he, he didn't give me his autograph. Didn't give it to you? No, my dad said, fuck him. <laughs> He said, um, he said he might ask for yours one day. And that was, that, that was my first memory of yeah. kind of going to a boxing show, you know. As it transgressed, uh, uh, transpired, it, it, I, I went from there to a closer club to where I lived, was Enfield Boxing Club. And then from there I went to the Repton. I kept getting drawn back to the East End yeah. because as a kid, all my mates that I left there, I wanted to go and see, you know. And that can be disappointing at times because you go back and they don't remember you, you know. But I went back to the Repton and uh, and that's really where I really started to enjoy boxing. I was never going to be a fighter, you know. Um, I wasn't good enough and probably not physically I wasn't good enough, but mentally as well, you know. But you, I got to a good standard, you know. Um, I had quite a lot of fights. So, so my my... My great memories, boxing at York Hall. I boxed at York Hall maybe 13, 14, 15 times, you know. Mm. And there's there's not quite an atmosphere anywhere else than the York Hall, you know. So I boxed in the ABAs there, I boxed club boxing there, you know. And uh, and done pretty well there. Do you know, I, I boxed there one night um, against a kid. I'm trying to think of the kid's name. It'll come to me in a minute. But probably boxed the best I've ever boxed in my life. And I was moving, I was a counter-puncher, you know, as a lot of reps and fighters are. And um, I jabbed this kid's head off all night. And I was slipping him and bum, bum. And I looked and felt really good. You know those moments in life when you feel you've hit it? You've found that, that moment where you've, you've probably reached your peak, actually, probably downhill from then on. Uh, and I boxed this kid's head off. And um, it came to the decision at the end of the fight and... Uh, and, you know, the Repton were well known. You know, everyone would say, oh, you, you're a Repton boxer, he's, he's going to get the decision. And I never got the decision. I, I lost on the majority. And I thought, I knew I'd won. And not only just won, I didn't nick it, I actually pissed it, you know. And um, the whole place was shocked because I was a Repton fighter. And at the end of the night, I got the Best Fighter of the Night Award. Now, how can you be the Best Fighter of the Night Award and lose the fight? Because obviously, the other kid's got to be a better fighter than you, isn't it? So, and I got this cup called the Marksman's Cup. So, one of my great memories of boxing is that. And the other one was I, I went defeated one, one year, I think 13 fights, and um, won all 13 when I just turned senior. And uh, I got the John H. Tracy Cup. Yeah. And uh, John H. still a pal of mine today. You know, we're still, we're still good mates. He lives up in the Wirral now, up in Liverpool. Uh, but we stay in touch. And uh, one of my proudest moments was actually receiving that cup, which I've still got it somewhere. I don't know where it is. Do you remember um, or what was the first fighter that you kind of took notice of as a kid? Um, that's a good question because, you know, we used to watch old films of Sugar Ray Robinson. Rocky Marciano. Uh, Robinson was absolute pure genius uh, coming along. Uh, one of my favourite fighters as a young young boy was Ken Buchanan because he was a counter-puncher and it was kind of my style, you know, and the way he used to move. Um, liked him a lot. And, of course, watching John H went out in Mexico, but I was a little bit older then. I suppose my earliest... Um, Loves of fighters would have been the old fighters because that's the ones we used to watch, you know. And then you had fighters like Carlos Palomino come along, and uh, it was a great fighter. And you had the middleweights, like welterweights, welterweights at the time, you know, Sugar Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Owens, um, Duran. I mean, talk about styles of boxing that actually fitted in one another to make a great fight, you know. Uh, so for me, um, I would have been a little bit older at the time, but watching the Leonard's, 
of this world. I mean, Thomas Hearns was very chinny. He could go, but he could also knock you out, which made for a fantastic fight, you know? You never knew what you was going to get with Thomas, you know? But Leonard was another Robinson. It was another Sugar Ray Robinson, you know? Because of the way he moved. Robinson could hit you with a left hook while you was going away from him and knock you out. It was... He, he would do things that weren't conventional. That, for me, you know, watching fighters, they go, bing, 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 up, bum, 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 there's combinations. But Robinson would throw a punch from nowhere and knock his spark out. Now, it's, it, a left hook is, you come onto it. To hit someone with a left hook while they're going away from you and knock them out is something quite special, you know. What, what a fighter. You know, so I came up in a golden age of boxing, I suppose. So the next question I'll ask you, and I'll, when I ask this to people who are in the boxing industry, so yeah. I'll kind of uh, adapt it towards you. Have you ever thought about, if you weren't in the film industry, what you'd be doing now? Yeah, I have thought about it, and I have no idea. No clue at all? No, I started when I was 17, I'm 65 now. It's hard to think that far back. Um, I've been so lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And what I mean by that is, at my, uh, we'd had the kitchen sink dramas coming along in the 60s and the 70s and all that. And I started around the end of, about mid-70s, uh, late 70s. And so it was kind of acceptable that they were looking at kids that came from that sort of world, rather than some chap who'd come out of a, um, a drama college, you know, who was putting on a gold blimey, Governor accent, you know, they were kind of using, it was more down to earth, you know, it was Saturday night, Sunday morning was one of the stars, look back in anger, those kind of films and plays that have been adapted for people like us, whether you was from Manchester, Liverpool or from Ireland or wherever, you know, this sporting life, you know, it was about us using people that came from those situations. So. Where my luck started, I came along at that kind of time, about 78, 79. Um, although I started, I went to college 75, I think it was 74, 75. But, so I kind of fell into it, you know, and then I had to learn the job on the job. Um, and I was lucky enough to have a director who took time to actually try and educate you and teach you a little bit as much as he could of how to go about your business, you know? And then you're lucky enough to get another job where you can take that too and then progress from that. And I found that the discipline of boxing stood me in good stead because although I wasn't the greatest trainer in the world, um, that kind of discipline and being part of a group because a boxing club, as you'll know, it becomes kind of a family where... It doesn't matter about religion. It doesn't matter about anything else. It doesn't matter from where you are, what, what social standing you are. You become as one. It's a shame the world ain't run like that in a way, you know? Because that kind of... So I was flung into um, a profession of um, what I like to call chappies, you know? And so I, I was, there was very few like me about. It's a bit different today, you know? But very few like me about. So those kind of jobs that were coming along... I was being used up to a certain extent. Um, and so I got a chance to actually learn more and more about the business. Probably a really difficult one to answer, but mm. I'll, I'll ask you anyway. Do you think that if your film career hadn't kind of t gone the way, and it wasn't always smooth running for you, we've yeah. spoken about this yeah. before, but do you think that your boxing career could have developed if the other side to your life, the film side, hadn't gone as well as it did, or no. was that kind of... No, 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 no. no. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was all right. I was, I was a good novice, although I had a lot of good fights. Um, I don't think I had the killer instinct to be a fighter. I don't think I had the mentality to train like you need to train to be a fighter. You know, a bit lazy when it came to training, you know. Um, the one time I did get really, really fit, I broke my finger in the semi-finals in the ABCs. Uh, I won the semi-final really easy. I broke my finger with the last punch of the fight. And um, I was going to box a kid called Walker. I think he was from Ogarth in the final. And I couldn't fight. It was the left hand. 
And I was all behind the jab, you know? Yeah. But I wanted to fight. Obviously, you want to fight. It's the final, you know? And my trainer said, even if you hadn't broke your finger, I want to let you fall. I went, why? He said, because this kid's an animal. <laughs> but I said, well, yeah, but you, I'd have to fight. It was Tony Burns, you know? Yeah. In fact, I see him years later, and he said to me, thank God you became an actor, Ray. I said, what is that, son? He said, he said because he was a terrible fighter. <laughs> I wasn't a terrible fighter, but what he meant was I never would have been a pro. Yeah. I wasn't good enough to be a pro, you know. I, I, I actually sparred. I remember going down to spar at the uh, Thomas and Beckett. Um, we, we used to go down and spar with some of the pros at times, you know. And um, I was sparring with um, Jimmy Revy, and I was making a show called Fox at the time where I was playing a boxer. And I went and sparred with Jimmy Revy. Old Jimmy Revy, remember him? He was a fighter, good fighter. And I was dancing around and I was pinging him off, bump, ping, 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 duck and diving, moving around and all that. And I thought, oh, this is lovely. He's a pro. I think he was European champion and all that. And I was jabbing him off, lovely, lovely. All of a sudden he went crunch. He went, don't get too clever, son. <laughs> it just put me right in my place, you know? The difference between, all right, I wasn't the greatest amateur in the world, but I was all right, you know? But And that pro the pro, you know, whenever you like, you're going. You know, it's a different game. When you was a kid, do you remember the first ever kind of serious argument or fight you got into away from boxing? Do you remember the first one of the one yeah. of those moments or the first one? So yeah, sticking your well, there was a few. Um, I think, um, well, there's a few. I mean, when you're little, you always have a little tear-ups and all that. Something stick in your mind, though? Not really. I mean, there, were, there was one at South End years ago. I was down there. I think we nicked, all, we, we nicked the girlfriends off the bouncers. Uh, it must have been about 17, 16, 17. We nicked their girlfriends. Right, the bouncers' girlfriends, which was probably not the cleverest thing in the world to do. And, uh, and they come tearing out the um, as we were having it on our toes with the girls, because they were big lumps. <laughs> and going down the road and... Um, it was lumps of wood and well, it all went a bit naughty. It weren't so much the fisticuffs. I'll tell you one of the, uh, we, we ended up having it on our toes, right? But we, they were big ones. So we had to have lumps of wood and we was clumping them, clumping them. Then we had it on our toes. And we still nicked the birds, which was a great Still thing. got them and all? Oh, yeah. Good sorts, were they? Yeah, well, they were at the time. <laughs> I don't know what they're like now. Um, but what... One of the fights I, I, I saw, I used to work with my dad. My dad was a greengrocer. And we used to go to Spitfield's Market on a Saturday. Because yeah. I, when I went at school, so on a Saturday, get up about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, you go to Spitfield's Market. And there was a big place there called The Cage, and there was the Blue Calf, which Victor Andretti used to own. I used to call him Uncle Victor, right? Who was a European champion, Vicky Andretti. And my dad's mate, one of my dad's old mates, and... Dad was a bit of a fucker, you know. He was a good man, but he was a bit of a fucker. And uh, I remember this fight. There was a, a, a guy called Simon, long hair, another guy, and they had a straightener outside the calf. And it went from the cage, from the calf, sorry, into the cage where all the old methods used to sleep and that, you know. And they had this tear up. And when I say this straightener lasted 10, 12 minutes, that's a long time. That is a very long time. It's a long time to have yeah. a straightener, all right? They had a, one go on a penny, and then the other one to let him up, and they go go out again, bosh, bosh, bosh. And at the end of it, both both had a good fight, you know, and they shook hands, right, and everyone went into the blue calf, and they baked them rolls and cups of tea, and they sat there on the chat. That was, was some honour in that. That was honour, you know, and uh, it wasn't a boxing match. It was a full-on straightener, you know? And it's the last time I've ever seen anything like that. And I must have been about 16. I've seen straighteners since, but I've never seen one that went on like that one in the film, The Quiet Man, you know? Yeah, yeah. That kind of goes on and on. And I thought, my God, that's that's something very, very special you've seen there. And that's honourable, you know? One had let the other one up, and they'd do it properly, like today. People want to stab people. Yeah. Yeah, you know? They've got no honour. It's gone. You know, to actually pick up a tool and stick it in someone, you know, over a rare. It's not, it's not good. It's not the right way. Normally over nothing as well. It's all over bollocks. Yeah. 
if you've really got a problem with someone you've never met before, who's never done any harm to you or your family, but you're having a row with them, have a straightener. Yeah. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen anymore. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, talk to me about a time in your life where you felt that you were fighting a losing battle. Oh, um... Is it related to boxing? No, or No, I'd rather it not be. Oh, fighting a losing battle. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I ain't really in my my head. I, the, the, there are no losing battles. I mean, I remember once boxing a guy who's, and I, I couldn't realise why I kept getting hit. Kept hitting me. And I, I, I've never been hit that much in my life. And I suddenly worked out it's because he was a southpaw. You never boxed southpaws when I was a kid. Southpaws were changed in the gym. You know, they, they, you know, there was a saying: you put down a southpaw at birth. You know, because they make mess a fight up. And I remember getting caught and caught and caught. And then all of a sudden, I caught him. He went on the penny. He got up, hit me. I went on the penny. And I kept thinking, why am I getting hit? And anyway, I got stopped. The only time I ever got stopped. What the fucking hell? How did that happen? And uh, it was a southpaw. Never come across it before in my life. In life, um, it's really funny. Um, I remember retiring from acting because I thought, I'm not really cut out for this. This was after Scum and I, uh, and I hadn't worked for about two years and I thought, you know what? It's not really my game. You know, I'm not really cut out. Really. I don't talk like anyone else. I, you know, I don't sound like an actor. I don't live like an actor. And I thought, and I don't, I, I wasn't felt... I didn't feel that I was being accepted as an actor, you know? So I was feeling a little bit sorry at myself, I guess. And uh, I, I actually retired for about two years. And then I got a phone call from Alan Clark, who was remaking Scum. He said, and I needed a few quid. <laughs> so I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. But I had no interest in doing it. I had no interest in going back to doing it at all. So without that phone call, I probably wouldn't be doing it today. But since then... Uh, you come up against brick walls and I've always got this mentality brick walls are put there to knock down, you know? Um, and I think you have to have that kind of mentality a little bit, um, especially when you're not, you don't fit into something properly, you know? You're like a square gun into a circle, you know? It's, and that's how I felt. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's my inverted snobbery in a way, you know, that kind of... Um, yeah, probably my excuse, making an excuse about why I'm not doing something, why I'm not getting there. And I've always been one that's kind of go, well, I'm not really that good, am I? You know, um, so I've got to, I want to learn and I want to get better, but maybe that's the sort of level I'm at and that's all I'm going to be, you know? But I've never been ambitious to be any anything big. I've never really craved that kind of stardom or... To be somebody. So how's matter. it happened then? Um, because I, I think it happened uh, in a way because I didn't want it that much. I think sometimes you can overtry. I think when you're overtrying, you ain't learning too much. If you're concentrating on that more than actually trying to develop yourself a little yeah, bit better, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I get that. I, I might be wrong. It's just, or I might just be lucky. And that's all right. Does luck run for that amount of time, though? Not all, no, not all the time. 
But you've got to take the rough with the smooth, haven't you, really? I mean, there's been tough times, you know. Uh, it's personally been tough times um, within family, you know, losses and things like that that you never feel you can get over. But you have, you have to sit down and have a look what's left and what you've got to fight for and what you've got to look after and, and nurture. So it's not easy sometimes, you know, but... And sometimes I, I think um, when you lose something that's very close to you, it can go two ways. You can either collapse or break apart or it can toughen you up a little bit. Uh, I remember losing, when I lost my mum, um, I became like granite for about two or three years. I wouldn't suffer no one. I wouldn't suffer fools. But I went too far one way, you know. Uh, got very angry about it. And, uh, and yeah... Um, wasn't very nice, you know, to be around. But that's, hopefully with the people around you, that you come out of that and that makes, the, the one thing is you, you lose an emotion for a long while. You know, I, I, I find it very easy to cry, you know. Not when I'm acting, in life. I remember driving home from Bristol after finishing Robin of Sherwood and I just looked into the mirror and I caught the sun going down and me, behind me in the west, in the mirror. And I had to pull over to the side. And it's the first time I'd cried for two years after, you know, losing my mum. And I needed to do that because I was like that. But that's just me. I, everyone goes through that, you know. Every, everyone goes through loss and uh, disappointment. And it's how you come out the other end. And... There ain't no book that tells you how to do that because we're all different, you know? We're all different. We all handle things in different ways. At the age you're at now, 40, oh. whatever you are. <laughs> 65, I am. What are, the, what are <coughs> the everyday battles in your life when you get up in the morning? God, get, getting out of bed's a battle. Uh, I mean, I wake up uh, probably 6 o'clock in the morning. That's the latest. Because you want to you go to the toilet, <laughs> you want to have a wee. Um, the other morning, um, I went to the toilet at 8 o'clock. I didn't get up till 9. That's the trouble. No, but that's a joke, right? <laughs> but you do. You, you wake up early because, you know, everything's working in a different way now. I'd love to have a lay. I'd love to lay in bed till 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Fantastic. I can't. I'm, I, maybe it's from the market days, you know, working with my dad. But I'm like, bang, I'm up in the morning, and it's the best part of the day, they say. Well, yeah, I love it. Then you get up and your bones hurt, your hips hurt. Your back, I broke my back twice. Like when I say broke, I fractured, you know, the spinal column, once on a horse, and then uh, I drove a motor off a mountain, off the top of a mountain, <laughs> and uh, landed like that, hit the roof and done it again. So that took me a couple of years to get over. And then COVID, it attacks that, doesn't it? So although I felt all right myself with the COVID, the pain in my back and my ribs and all that was immense. I broke all my ribs, broke both ankles. And that's working as an actor, you know, because you put everything into it when you're doing something. Ridiculous, really. I got hurt more being an actor than I did being a boxer. It's crazy, you know. Um, but every day... The battle is really just the aches and pains. And I don't take medication for it. I, I, I the only medication I take is blood pressure tablets, which have been fantastic for me. But all this, oh, legs and hips and you find yourself, and I have to stretch out in the morning, you know. I have a stretch and the calves and all that. And that's the only difference, really. Because I still inside me think I'm 17. Until I start to move. And then I realise I'm not. Is there a mental side to the battles in your life every day? Um, you no, I wouldn't say so. Um, uh, it, as I say, you kind of, I, I kind of lost an emotion and I'm quite aware of it. You know, when you've lost people. Um, and that, mentally, that kind of makes you stronger in a way. But I don't know how much damage that does because you keep that locked up. And I think every now and then you have to release it. You have to... It's not easy talking to people about it, really. 
Um, I, I've always been a bit mental, I think. You know, a bit, how you going? But I don't kind of let it show, you know? It's, it's, I get upset and, I, and I, I can feel myself going down a slippery slope and I know how to liven myself up, you know? I think. You kind of touched on this next question um, yeah. a little bit uh, a few minutes ago, but when was the last time you've had to fight back tears? You, you said you're quite emotional and. Uh, I don't. I don't fight them. No, you don't fight them back. You know, when they come, they come, and that's it. Is know? that how you are? Yeah. 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 I. 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 I yeah. I mean, you don't want to be crying in the street, I suppose, and all that, you know. But yeah, I, uh, you, there's two types of tears. You said there's happiness. You can cry because you're happy, or you're watching a sad film, you know. I mean, the old films always get me. You know, of course, I'm choking up. I don't want to show no one. Uh, but when you when you're upset, you know, and I, I get upset over the kids, really. You know, if something's not quite going right with them, or you know, and then I, I it's almost like I get a bit angry about it. And what the fuck do you do? How do you go about this? Because Although I've got three daughters, that everyone's an individual. You have to deal with it in a different way, you know, and and that can break your heart. And it's a good thing. Crying's a good thing because once you've done that, then you sit down and you can have a think about it, and you can get it sorted out and do what you've got to do. But I don't see any problem with having a cry. I don't mind it. I actually quite like it. Do you know, it's, um, the, other, the other emotion is, I remember not being too well a few weeks ago, and I was, don't mean to be horrible or anything like that, but I was being sick as a dog. I had this gastric bug. And I'll tell you how stupid and freaky I am sometimes. And I'm being sick, and I'm just, I'm cuddling in the toilet. You know that image of cuddling the toilet? And you have an out-of-body experience, you know. It's almost like you're looking down on yourself. And while I was I was being ill, I started laughing. I was just laugh, I was laughing at the hit the image of it all. You know, do you know what I mean? Right. And I, I don't I don't mind it. It gets you through it. It's the funny side of it, you know. Have you ever cried over one of your films, watching them back? When, when they're bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, our boy. There was a thing I'd done called Our Boy, which was a TV film about the loss of a child in a family. Me and Paul Inkwork done years ago. Yeah, yeah I remember it, yeah. Cried, cried over that a bit because it was uh, beautifully done and anything to do with being a dad, you know, you understand that. You know, it's, that's everything. That's everything you live for. So, and yet that touches you. That, that really grabs hold of you, yeah. And I'm sure there's been other things, yeah. I don't mean this from any kind of uh, physical sense, but yeah. where does your fight spirit come from? Because you're quite, I'm not going to refer to you as an yeah. alpha male, but you, you come across, but that's probably because... That's the parts you play. But there's parts you play, but yeah. sometimes you get into your head that that is how Ray is, but we know that's not the case. No, but I think, no, no, no. I, it's, I, it's, it's, not, it's not the case. It's, the, 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 the best... Compliment you can have is when people say, well, yeah, but that's Ray, isn't it? That's the best compliment because that's, then your acting is all right. It's good. Because if they think that's me, they think that's me in Neil by Mouth. If they think that's me in the war zone, you job know. Job done. Job done. Because, yeah. you know, if they think that that is me, well, that's fine. Because the, you, you want to create, in those sort of films, you want to create a reality. It's not about showing a performance, not in them type of films. Them type of films are for an audience to go, I'm actually watching real fucking life here. Yeah. This happens. You know, like in Scum and films like that. They have to be real. Otherwise, you've, you, you've missed the whole sense of why you're making the film. We're making a film that make people aware that people live like this, you know? And so for me, the best compliment I can get when someone says, yeah, but I'm, I'm only watching you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's not, that's not an acting performance, is it? No. No, it ain't. 
That's not me going, oh. That's mad. That's so true, though, what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. It doesn't work on every film. Because there's certain films, like I've just done a film called Damsel for Netflix with uh, Millie Bobby Brown. Mm. And Angela Bassett plays my wife. Oh, wow. Good lot. My life, proper girl. Great actress. Really good girl. And they're, they're both good girls. But it's a fairy story. You know, it's about dragons and things like that. You know, and so that's when I have a problem because I have to then look at it and what we're doing, what's the genre of this? This ain't a guy who's there going around. You bring a bit of that to it because I'm playing a father of a princess, you know. But at the same time, you've still got to sell this thing as being this wonderful fantasy, you know. So and that's something I had to learn along the way because going from scum and uh, a teacher like Alan Clark where everything is real, when you come to do some of these other genres, you've got to learn how to go, oh, hold on a minute. It's not about putting snooker balls in a sock and whacking someone around the head, you know. This is about selling a story, selling a, a fairy story across, you know. So it, there are different genres, and I st I'm still learning now what they are. Do you feel like in your life you've ever had to fight demons? Uh, yeah, I, I think to a certain extent. Um, uh, one of them was uh, probably, as I, I've mentioned earlier on, was... Am I right for this industry? It is, you know, you know, I'm a kid out of Plasto. You know, talks like that. All right, hey gang. You know, and I'm in a world of, you know, theatre and and all that, where everyone's a little bit more. That was my hang up, and I had to get rid of that out of my head a bit lively. You know, it takes time. The stereotype. Uh, I stereotype myself probably, uh, which I fought against doing that, but it's that's difficult. All you can do is get a job and play it differently or play it reality or play it how you're going to play it, but play it well. It doesn't always happen that way. You know, sometimes you make the right boo-boo and I've done that, you know. Um, fighting demons, yeah, you, know, you get involved with silly things along the way, as kids do, you know, and uh, and one day you wake up, if you're lucky enough, to go, I ain't doing that no more. You know, and that, whether that's drugs, drink or whatever. I mean, I love a drink. You know, uh, uh, but I got I got this inner fear about it, and I think having grandchildren and children kind of brings you back to reality a little bit because you want to live to see them grow up. Now, if I was on the piss like I like I, I, I was at a certain point, I didn't need to go to AA and all that. Some people do. I just because I don't need to be. In, I'm not there for a club. I'm there. I'm doing what I'm doing for my kids. So you go, and if you want to drink, you want to drink. I had a mate and one who's, who hasn't drunk now for 16 years, I think it is, probably a bit longer, who phoned up one day and he said, I was going out to see him. He was, he was living out in another country and he said, uh, he said, when you come out, he says, um, I'll have a drink with you. I went, no, you won't. He went, what? I said, you ain't fucking blaming me for you having a drink. I said, you don't want to drink, don't drink. Anyway, he phoned me up about a year later and he said, uh, and he, he was in a bit of a state. And he said, um, I said, what's the matter? He said, um, I got really drunk last night. And I said, yeah, and? He said, well, I've wasted 15 years of... I said, no, you ain't. You've had a drink. I said, you've been clean 15 years, you had a drink last night. I said, and tomorrow you won't have a drink. He went, no. I, he said, but... I said, no. I said, you wanted to have a drink, you had a drink. End of... Now, he had to stop drinking because it chemically affected his nut. And he became a very naughty, nasty person. Without booze, he's blinded. Usually, you can tell a person who's drunk if they're a horrible person. They're an horrible person when they're sober and all. Don't ever worry about that, right? But there's certain people who've got a chemistry inside them where they have booze and it affects them in another way. So, I don't need... AA does a wonderful job, but I don't need to do that. Because if I want to drink, I'm going to have a drink. And if I don't want to drink, I'm not, I don't want to drink because I've got three daughters and a grandson. That's it. I'm going to have a drink this afternoon, no. <laughs> um, something I've been talking to people, like especially boxers, about yeah. is whether their professionalism within the sport has contributed to any points of depression in their life but for yourself being 
in the acting industry mm. for what four or five decades now. Yeah, you've been in it. Have you been in a situation where you've had to go through depression? I don't know. It's a good question because you, you, as I go go back to loss, uh, is loss can take you down that slippery slippery road. It depends who you got around you, you know. Um, who you got talking to you, who, you, who your family is and who your friends are. Um, so, and I think depression is a funny thing. Uh, you can be upset. It doesn't mean to say you're depressed. You can be depressed and don't know it. I, yeah. How do you know? So true. How, how do you know if you're depressed? I don't, I don't know. I, I probably have been depressed in times and wouldn't know it. You know, Mr. Angry, Mr. Or, you know, got the ump with the world. Is that depression or is that just unhappy for the moment? What's the line between unhappy and depression? You know, it, I, I think in a way, without knocking anything that's going on today, I think there's some great stuff going on about, you know, um, mental health and all that. But we talk about it so much, it's almost like it convinces you, you you've got mental health or you're depressed. And I'm sure that's correct in a lot of ways, but... I don't think it's as simple as that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a row with you now. Me and you have a row. I walk out here with the ump. Am I depressed? No, I'm just upset. So I, I don't think we're clinically able to actually say that. I mean, you've got to be some sort of top doctor to be able to tell you whether you're depressed or you're just upset. Uh, and I think all, all these things I go on, you know, you go on Instagram and all that and you go mental health, and there's some good people out there trying to do the right things, you know. Uh, but it's kind of installed into us now, you know. The, the moment we feel a little bit down, God, it's part of our makeup. It's what we are. It's what makes the man or the woman. The strength to come through that. And you do need a bit of help at times. You do need friends. You do need family to talk to you about that. But, you know, there's also the fact of, you know, you're depressed, when I'm even going to work, I'm going to feel fucking worse now. Oh, no, I'm depressed. You know, I've been told I'm depressed, so I'm going to get even worse, you know. Um, I don't know what the answer is. Mm. I'm not smart enough or clever enough to know the answer to that question. I just think we've got to be very careful how we deal with that subject, you know. Yeah, I spoke to um, the promoter, Eddie Hearn, about this. This yeah. is not something that we speak about in our day-to-day interviews, so it was good to get his take on yeah. and this. And he said that, like, does he have bad days? Absolutely. Yeah. Does he have days where he doesn't want to get out of bed and it's like, fuck the world? Absolutely. Yeah. Am I, have I had suicidal thoughts? No. Do I? Would I call it depression? No, I wouldn't. It's just, like, you have bad moments in your life and mm. he can kind of tell the difference. But you're right. I think there are some people out there that kind of get into a, a bad point in their life mm. where, again, because it's being told that this is what it is, yeah. then they think that that's what it is. Which kind of then takes the focus off the people that actually are depressed. Yeah, if that I think makes sense. I, I, I think it does. Um, I've never felt suicidal. Doesn't mean to say I haven't been depressed. Mm. Uh, I, you know, to to be suicidal, you have got to be in a real bad way. You know, a real bad state of mind to actually want to take your life, your own life. Um, so. I don't know. I don't know. I know I've never felt suicidal. Maybe after a couple of defeats West Ham have had lately, um, you know, sometimes it makes me feel a bit suicidal, but not to that extent. And all jokes aside, I think it's something that needs a specialist, not just people talking online about it, you know, because it's a very, very important subject that we don't know enough about. So... For yourself, Ray, obviously, I don't mean this in terms of, a, again, a physical aspect, but you fight for your family and mm. your, your daughters and your wife, etc. Who's there for you, though? Who's in your corner? They are. They are. Reverse. Yeah. Absolutely. That's family. Yeah. They've got a bit, I hope so, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's family. That's, that's what it is. Not just your family and all, you know, you're really close mates. I've got mates I grew up with, you know, who I've had. I've got very few mates that are in my profession, to be honest with you. Um, 
Not because I don't like them, you just don't see one another, you know. Uh, because they're off working, you're off working, and, and that's the way it is. But uh, my mates I grew up with, you know, I, I, more than on one hand, you know, that I've known more or less all my life, you know, and they know you probably more than your family do, you know, they know when something's up. And it's like a second sense, they phone up, you all right? What do you mean am I all right? Yeah, of course I'm all right. No, I just thought, I was thinking, yeah, that's all. Yeah, They're the on. ones. Yeah, no. They're the ones. So it's, if you're lucky enough to have that, that network, in a way, you don't really need much more, you know? I've heard you in this, the last, whatever, 20 minutes, make reference to the people that are around you and how mm. important that is. And yeah. it's not, shouldn't be under underestimated Mm. that good people around you could mm. be the difference of what happens in your life yeah. if you're feeling low, etc., etc. Yeah. having them right people, the right people around you. Right people around you. And if, you, if you've got the age of 65 and you don't know who they are, you're in trouble. Because you, you do know. You know by then, you know. At 65, Ray, what actually drives that fight within you? What, what is it that makes you get up every day to... Tax man. <laughs> you've got to pay the tax man. God, I'd love to retire. I'd love to go lay on a beach somewhere and all that. You can't. You pay your tax. And usually you're a year behind. So you have to keep going to work. I mean, that's the honest answer. You know? Do I want to get up at five o'clock in the morning and go work on a film? Not, not really. I've done it. I've done it now. But, having said that, you'll get offered something and you go. It's very far and few between, but go, wow, I'd like to be a part of that. That gets you going again. That really gets you your bubbling again, you know. Saying so really, really, guy, I had a phone call the other day. Uh, off of, I'm not going to say who it is because, you know, it might not happen. It's, it's silly, but I don't want to put him in a position. But uh, I'm thinking, that, you know, what we spoke about 20 years ago. I was thinking of doing that. And this is probably one of the best directors I've ever worked with, right? You fancy it? You up for it? Yeah, of course I'm up for it. You work with. Great people, good people, who you trust and be around. That's fine, you know. Um, you know, and, and you how, much money, how much money do you want to earn? I mean, how much money at the end of the day do you really want to go and get? You want to you, you want to retire with thirty five, forty million pound in the bank? No, you just want enough money to live. You know, I'm sixty five. I want the kids now. It's their turn to go and do. You know, a lot. It's it's like when I come along I, I, as a kid. You know, we started doing the things and some of the old boys were, were left aside and were getting smaller parts. Well, that's happening now to me. And quite rightly so, that is a circle. That's how it works. The new generation come through and they're better than us. Because they've got to be. If they ain't learned nothing from us, then there's pointless them doing it, you know. So, fantastic. So, I still work. I still go and graft, do my little bit, bum, 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 in, bush and out. Lovely. It's the way the world works, and I, I'm really happy with it. But the honest answer is, I go back. I go, I go to work because I pay my tax, and that's what you have to do to keep it all going. So, if I was to take any financial answer out of that, yeah, there must be something else, Ray, that makes you still want to still be doing what you're doing at, at 65. As I said, for that one moment where yeah. something comes along that you go, "Wow, oh yeah." You know, I got, I got, I, got, I understand this. I want to, I want to get my teeth into this, and I really want to go to work with this. You know, and exciting new young directors. I've, I've always been one of those that work with first-time directors. I've worked with loads of them through the years. I like that because they don't know the rules; they break them and they make up their own rules and they make up, they invent things because they don't know what it is, and that's exciting to go to work with. Some old boy has been doing it all his life, no disrespect, who's fantastic at what they do. They've done it all. You know, they turn up, they know it. So it's all done really quickly and you don't see the process. When you're working with a young kid who's thinking it out, going through it and doing it, you're learning something. And that, that for me is like, ah, yeah, it's going to work. That's probably going to work. I don't want to uh, grill you too much on this phone no. call, but is this something to do with a sequel? Or can't you say? No, I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. Mind your own no? business, Coop. 
Sexy Beast 2? No, 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 no. They're doing a, a TV programme of it. Are they? They're doing a series off, I'm not sure if it's Netflix, but it's been done up in Liverpool, filmed in Liverpool. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure the writers are the same writers. I think they might have something to do with the production side of it. But they're making it up there now. Uh, Stephen Moyer's in it, who I've done a, who directed a little film I've done in Ipswich last year. It is last year now. Um, called A Better Light. And that was that was a really small, that was during COVID we made it. With, um, I think it was about 28 people on the crew. Really small crew. You know, and uh, I loved it. You know, it was it was like, like we used to make films, you know, on the off. It was, a, you know, like guerrilla warfare. You know, we, we need a shot. Oh, we can't afford it. We'll do the shot anyway. Fuck it. Get on with it. It was it was terrific. You know, it gives you that, that little buzz again, you know. Okay. Well, Ray, listen, I appreciate uh, you, you coming on here and, uh, and doing this podcast, the uh, sure. Raw, the fight within. Just before we do finish, though, I yeah. just... Yeah, obviously, I'll... Co- kind of keep up to date with you on your Instagram which you're getting more and more used to as the, the months roll on you're doing stuff with obviously Integral as well I just wanted you to talk a little bit about that as well well Integral I mean I don't know whether we discussed it before but it really came came from Gary Petit you know who's, who's a mate and one who I met probably now about 25 years ago probably maybe a bit less over West Ham and uh, it's really unusual because all my mates are old mates as I told you but you know, I weren't looking for any more new mates. I don't need no new mates, you know. And uh, But he's very, we're very like-minded, you know, in, in the way we view things and the way we are, in a way. And his boy was playing for West Ham and we went over there, watched him play for, you know, the, the youth side and all that. And uh, they're all good players. All these kids are good players. They've got to be, to be there, you know. Any kid who's at a club has got to be useful in some sort of way. And we went over there and watched it and... Uh, and as it transpired, uh, West Ham let him go. But they, what what happens at these clubs is you, you get if you've got forty four kids on your books, about forty of them get released. You know, they might keep four, and they might keep two, and they might keep six. But what happens to them forty kids? Where do they go now? Some of them maybe have a family where they can place them or look after them because this is their dream. The dream is for a kid at the age of 16, 14, 15, 16, is to be a footballer. That's their dream. And all of a sudden, at 16, their dream's gone. It's finished. At 16 years of age, you go... I didn't think too much about it, but I, me and Gary were talking. He went... Now, Casey's very lucky. He's got a dad who, who can manoeuvre him, and he got him in the middle. Well, you know, where was all these kids? And then we looked into it, and, you know, there's kids committing suicide. There's kids that go back to the estate who get on to other things. Skullduggery, because their dream is over. And he said, well, you know, and Gary said, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to set up an agency. He said, and I'm going to look after... And I went, yeah, yeah, all right. He said, do you want to be involved? I went, no, not really. I said, I've got a million things to do. And the more we talked about it, the more it kind of made sense in a way. And, and I thought, well, you know what? I'm doing what I do, but what else do I actually do? What do I put back? You know? And we started actually talking about it and said, well, you know, as an agency, you're not going to get Declan Rice come to you. You know, <laughs> you're not going to get top players. And, we, and we've got to stop thinking of it as an agency as such because you're going to build something here and it's going to take maybe four to five years you know, of building something up, of credibility. So it started off with football players, and we, we know, with Casey, and then uh, Flynn Clark. I mean, yeah, and we started getting all these kids in, and then we had connections in Ireland and in Wales, and then we got, actually, kids started coming to us. And, you know, we've got about 21 young internationals now, kids who weren't being placed in certain areas who maybe wouldn't have become footballers, maybe would have gone back to whatever they were doing. Um, and then from there, it's, we were approached then. It's funny how you're approached because we were approached more than we were approached anyone else uh, by golfers, by jockeys. And we started falling into this pattern where 
And this is not just guys, this is girls. We've got lady jockeys, we've got lady footballers, you know, and tennis players. And they're all kids. So we kind of found ourselves building up a stable of the next generation. Now, that ain't, as an agency, you've got to run that financially. It's got to work financially, um, which is a very difficult thing to do because you have to bring staff in. Staff have to be paid, which has been covered. So we've, we've got great like-minded people running the, the business. We've got like-minded people who have invested in the business. Um, and we're going from strength to strength. Now, we're getting to a stage where our young stable is getting, coming to a mature level. Yes, it's, so, and we've got a, a good set of, I guess, not sponsors, but investors that um, are like-minded people to us, you know, who, who a lot of them are in the city, which helps. So they know what they're investing in. So it's a, it's a, a company that's growing. We're not trying to change the world. We're just trying to give these kids a chance uh, at fulfilling their dreams, uh, which I was lucky enough to do. And I don't see why. I, I, I look around the country and clubs have no setups where the afterlife of a kid who they've had on their books since probably sometimes from the age of seven to the age of 16 and I let go, that, that they can look after these kids. Um, and I guess at the end of the day, they'd say, well, you know, we take the strongest-minded kids. But sometimes that's not the case. Men cities and the Liverpools of this world can afford, I guess, to, um, to take more players on than uh, a club in the second division or the first division or the championship. But, and I understand they're looking for the strongest players. And maybe it's not the job of the club to do that. That's for debate. But we're trying to do something. We're not trying to do change the world. We're not trying to... We're just trying to do something a little bit different and to give these kids a second chance. After all, I mean, some kids at the age of 16 don't mature till they're 19 years of age or 21 years of age anyway. So um, I'm just... I'm very proud to be involved in this in in a way. It's something I never thought I would be involved in. Um, I'm not an agent. I'm a founder member. And it's it makes me very proud to be that. And and to kind of oversee it, along with Gary, I think he's doing a, a wonderful job. And it's slowly, slowly, we've learned more about the business as we've gone through it. So we're kind of learning learning on on foot, if you like, on the tap. So, And we've got so many more kids that are hearing about us that are coming and being involved. So I think we're at a stage now where a lot of our first kids that came in are ready to mature to go on to the next step, which is playing for the first team. Uh, they're playing for internationals already, under-21s uh, for Ireland, Scotland and England. We have uh, players at Aston Villa, uh, at Man City, and my God, we've got some young golfers coming through that are wonderful, tennis players, uh, which are tremendous, uh, and we're, we're even into the cricket. The boxing we've kind of left alone. It's a funny old sport boxing. It's one-on-one, -on -one, but it comes with an entourage of people that can probably do the job that we'd be asking to do anyway. So... Um, Boxing's something we haven't really touched on, and maybe it's, it's not the right sport for us, but who knows? Who knows what the future will bring? Well, like I said, we, we see you um, on your social media um, mm. posting about it, but it's good to get some actual context mm. from yourself about it. Uh, I, know, I think we have spoken about it before a couple of years ago, mm. but um, I suppose, yeah, it's been two years since then. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, um, thank you again for coming my, on this my, podcast. My, my pleasure. It's actually been interesting for a change. Well, I hope so. For a change? Yeah, well, not with you, but other people. I don't oh, want to upset right. you, do I? No. No. <laughs> you have to, um, when you, do you, still, do you direct films still? No. I, uh, um, I thought about directing, and I thought, well, it's two years of your life. Um. Because, you, you know, it's the prep, the actual filming, the, the work on the script, 
and then the post. And it's, it's the worst way, it's two years of your life. And sometimes it takes you seven years to get the film started anyway. Uh, so, I don't know. I don't know what the future brings. I wouldn't write it off. I'd love to have a go at something. I've got, a, I've got an idea for something, but we'll, we'll see. My follow-up question from that was, mm. if you direct a film... Yeah. Can you just like stick me in the back somewhere? You're there. You're... I don't even really want to talk. I just, <laughs> no, you'll, you'll be there. I just want to go. Did you see Coogan in the but Ray don't Winston? Don't hold film? your breath. It might not happen. <laughs> Ray, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very uh, thank much. Thank you Coogan. very much, and thank you for listening to Raw: The Fight Within with me and Cassius. Uh, we will see you next week. Make sure you comment, like, and subscribe. And Ray, thank you again. God bless. God bless. Sports Social Podcast Network.